You're listening to the Masonic Light Podcast. Starring Pete Ruggieri, Larry Maris, and Jason Lewis. This podcast is not endorsed by any Grand Lodge, and the ridiculous ramblings of the hosts are their own. So sit back and enjoy some Masonic conversation without pretension. And now, here's your hosts, Pete, Larry, and Jason. And Jack! Hey, that's me. Hey, everybody, it's Pete from... <laughs> wow. Wow, hey. <laughs> Pete's excited. It's episode 37. Episode 37, Masonic Late Podcast. 37. 37. 37. And uh, today, we're going to be interviewing Heather... What's Heather's last name? Calloway. 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 Oh, yeah. God, it's just Jeez. making you crazy. That's, so Does she have a doppelganger that blows Flynn. glass down the, down the block? So let's start out how we always do. Larry. Yes. Have you, tell us what you've done masonically in the past two weeks. In the past two weeks. It's been busy. It has absolutely been busy. Uh, lodge meeting last Tuesday. Uh, went to some degree work the following Thursday. Have I told you how I feel about Ritual and degree. Yeah, you guys know that. Uh, had a mentoring committee meeting today to turn over the committee officially to a new group within our lodge. And uh, it, it, has, it has been busy. And, of course, breakfast and all that kind of stuff. So the last meeting, um, tell us about the, it was a, a table lodge. Tab oh, table lodge. Yeah. 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 Were you guys <laughs> able to get through the table lodge on time? <laughs> Uh, actually, uh, no. no. <laughs> yeah, I heard. I heard rumors that uh, you got about you know fifty percent of the way through this table lodge, and magically it was seven thirty when we're supposed to yes, open our yes. real lodge. And we finished the second toast, and all of a sudden we were out of time. So we actually, well, I'm not going to say anymore. <laughs> Uh, you I got immediate dispensation by the district deputy grandmaster elect. Elect, yes, exactly. <laughs> Jason, Jason, do you have anything uh, going on in the past two weeks? Yeah, I had a stated meeting for um, the Harrisburg Consistory and uh, a couple picnics and getting ready for, well, by the time you hear this, our stated meeting, Lodge 43, will have happened. Uh, and also... Uh, me for the very first time conferring the first degree on the first person that I was the first line signer for. How do you like that? First, first, first. But while you guys were voting on my plural membership in Lamberton, right? We're trying to make the all Lamberton Masonic Light podcast crew. Uh, no pressure here. Right? I was busy. What we didn't talk about is that we actually have Seth Anthony with us. Say hi, Seth. Oh, hi, guys. Thanks. Hi. And uh, we're up in the room. Hi, everybody. But Seth recruited me for the odd fellows so while you were voting on me i re contact i uh i received my initiatory degree in the odd fellows and uh you should you should tell us about that experience seth it was it was pretty interesting and uh seth Wait, is also trying to me, to, i will discuss seth's <laughs> been trying to rope me into something too so uh, we'll talk about that off air but, but i gotta i gotta tell you a funny part about it i'll let seth talk and then uh so seth what's been going on in your world the past couple weeks and tell us a little bit more about jason's thingy thingy uh, I have not seen Jason's thingy thingy. I want that to. <laughs> Neither right have I. There, number one. Neither have Jason I. Jason hasn't seen Jason it for years. He hasn't seen it in a while. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'll start with the other stuff that's been going on. I have been uh, being a very good petticoat mason, as it would be referred to by uh, some members of the fraternity. I was at an amaranth function all weekend. You've been running to uh, Alan Moyer. Yeah, Alan Moyer and I have been spending a lot of time together doing Amaranth stuff. I was their IT and tech guy for a weekend event. Uh, I've got some white shrine stuff coming up. Thoroughly exciting. Uh, tomorrow night, we have Corinthian. Tomorrow night, when we're recording, but it'll be a week past, we have Royal Arts Chapter. But I guess more importantly is Jason's uh, adventure to joining Triune Lodge number 307 of the Odd Oddfellows uh, after half an hour of technical difficulties and watching the degree on a DVD. Half the degree. Uh, we then perform half the degree. We then performed the remainder of the degree with three people reading the parts. Uh, so it was uh, an adventure 
par excellence in uh, a degree recorded by the finest people who did the Blair Witch Project and other <laughs> Seth kept saying, see, wouldn't this be cool if this was happening in real life? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it would have been awesome if it happened in real life. It's a cool degree. But what's not awesome is somebody holding a shaky cam and trying to follow people around. Shaky cam. <laughs> so I got to mention that it was open uh, – or it was election of officers that night. So, and I showed up on a night that they, <laughs> that they, right, that they typically wouldn't um, do degrees, but because of my Langster Lodge of Perfection commitment, I couldn't go to the normal degree night. So they agreed that after election of officers that, uh, that, that I could get initiated. So I'm sitting in the uh, ante room, if you will, and I can hear the election of officers. And all of a sudden I hear outer guard. Jason Howard Lewis. And I immediately text Seth, WTF just happened. <laughs> Did you just get nominated when you weren't in the room? <laughs> yeah. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and and the exact same well, thing they, happened. They handed, me the, oh, they go ahead, handed Seth. me the list of people and said, all right, you have three candidates. Tell us what offices they should have. And I went, well, Jason's not going to be here a lot, so let's make him outer guard. <laughs> I was a mere fellow craft when I got uh, put on the lodge notice at 43 as Tyler. When I said the exact same thing happened in 43, I wasn't kidding. <laughs> Jack, do you have anything exciting happening the past couple of weeks? Exciting. Uh, we had a third degree last week, um, and I recorded a little snippet after the meeting just to get the um, candidates. Uh, Perspective. Okay. Yeah, that. Um, anyway, so you may or may not hear that later on. Uh, the other thing I have going on is Lodge in the Woods. And that's coming up September the 27th. It's a Wednesday night. Tickets are still available on Eventbrite. If you go to your website and type eventbrite.com and search for 2017 Lodge in the Woods, you can still get tickets for that. And that gets you a steak dinner and a beautiful meeting under the stars with the Grandmaster and all the Grand Line and all that good stuff. Other than that, it's been pretty just work a day. So my... uh. My past couple of weeks have been kind of lame, um, although I did get one thing. Um, I, I got something that used to belong to Seth. <laughs> I have uh, been not. I've been, <laughs> I have been made a district deputy um, in Grotto. Yeah. Okay. Everybody like shattering glass. Everybody hears this. Yeah. <laughs> It was okay. The district being one grotto. Yeah. Well, I mean, Pennsylvania and, and grotto, they're far apart. So my district is one grotto, oh. Delco grotto. Delco. Uh, so I'm going to have to toe the line and wear a suit. And um, so he gets now, free now, drinks. Guys, so we'll highlight it's here. What color he suit, though? a picture of the jewel he got as district deputy on Facebook. And I looked at it and went, oh, that's my old jewel. It's missing stones around the edge. Right. Congrats. Right. <laughs> Oh, so it's wonderful. Um, that was probably it. Uh, my turn to petition in. Uh, I was the first line signer on a petition. Jason was the second line signer. Apparently. Um, or you will be tomorrow. You did that at a table lodge <laughs> that you did not stay for. Let's see here. Um, yeah, that, that was it. That happened for me. Nice. All right. Well, let's take a quick break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to be with our guest, Miss Heather Calloway. <laughs> Effort Lodge 665 in beautiful, wet, damp Everett, Pennsylvania. And you've just had your third degree. What are you thinking? Uh, it was an amazing experience, an experience that I'll never forget. Doug Otto conferred the third degree. Now, Doug is a past master of Effort Lodge in, what, 2011? All right. So, Doug, it's been a while since you did one. What were you thinking? I was just thinking that it was good to be back, and it's uh, good to uh, be able to help a co-worker uh, come through the lodge. So I was pleased to be able to do it and would like to do it for more guys that come through. I'm sure we won't throw you out if you come back to do another third degree. So, so Brian, you're a young guy. How old are you? I'm 29. And, and what was it that um, convinced you that you should join Freemasonry? Actually, uh, my roommates in college had uh, brought me towards this towards this path and um, I had approached them for them and they're great great guys and I've known them for you know 20 years and uh, 
that's really what brought me here. Just seeing great people and um, they set the example and I would like to follow them. Well, I would like to uh, welcome our guest this evening, uh, Dr. Uh, Heather Calloway. And uh, Heather is uh, an archivist. Let me put my glasses on so I can read this. I'm so sorry. An archivist and a special collections librarian, assistant professor at Washington College. Heather worked at the Scottish Rite Free, uh, Free yeah, Scottish Rite Freemasons for 14 years. Most recently, she served as the museum curator and managing director for digital and social media at the House of the Temple in Washington, D.C. And in 2009, and I find this particularly interesting, we're going to talk about this, Dan Brown wrote his bestseller, The Lost Symbol, which opened and closed at the museum. And as she says, life literally changed overnight. Uh, you have a B.A. from a Bachelor of Arts from the University of New Mexico. Go Lobos. Go Lobos. Uh, my, my daughter was a ram from Colorado State. And uh, you have your uh, master's in theology from uh, the Lyft School of uh, Theology. Um, this is the Larry show. Where we this is Larry, Larry doing talk. an interview. Yeah. You have to give the <laughs> folks an idea. Larry, what here's it and La what it's about. Larry, you just say, hey, Heather, tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> okay. Well, Instead of letting you reading fine. everything. We have a lot of good questions for her. So we just want to get this <sighs> out of the way. And see, these guys do this to me every show. And this is I'm the really 37th sorry. show and nothing's changed. <sighs> and anyway, but uh, uh, you've got a lot of articles. Um, uh, one of the things I, I noticed, too, you're just on the secret vaults and forgotten treasures. Excellent, what I've read of it. And uh, we welcome you to the show. It is fantastic to have you. I think most of us, I think three of us, uh, uh, was, uh, were at the Academy of uh, Pennsylvania Academy of Knowledge, and we, we got to hear your, uh, your speech. So, anyway, welcome. Do you have any hey, questions? Well, Do you have any questions for Heather, us? Heather, I think he's fine. <laughs> okay, and that's Heather, Heather I think Galloway. he's finally letting you talk. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> so the interview is Larry asking if they have questions exactly. for him. Right. Exactly. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, Heather, Secret Vaults of Forgotten Treasures, Freemasonry's Collection and Material Culture in a Declining Fraternal Age. Uh, that was your uh, doctoral thesis at the uh, University of Pennsylvania. Yes. What attracted you in becoming an archivist? Wow, that's a good question. So, Oh, don't tell uh, him that. <laughs> no, that is a good question. So when I originally set out on my um, education, I thought I wanted to be a professor. And um, my research interest was religion. And so I went to seminary and I found myself as everybody's um, research assistant graduate assistant. And the part that I liked was trying to help them find whatever they were looking for, for their project. And I realized that there's actually a job for that. And the thing I was writing about also in seminary was Freemasonry and religion. And so, um, I went back to school a second time and then, uh, was able to kind of put those two loves together. So I, I f was able to, um, you know, take care of the artifacts. Um, it's a funny story how I started at the House of the Temple. I came to Washington, D.C. to study for a semester, and I was coming from Denver, Colorado, and I volunteered at the House of the Temple. I said, I'm here for a semester. I really love to do something other than just classes while I'm here. Can I work? And they said, sure. And after about a week, they started paying me, and <laughs> then my my job just grew from there. And I I really loved that I was able to take this love for fraternalism, and then my love with religion and theology and groups and clubs and all of those things kind of came together into one job. Um, and I got paid for it. So hey, Heather, um, always that's a bonus. Kind of how I fell into it. Heather, this is Pete. Um, what kind of connection did you have with Freemasonry before that? Was there any? Oh, sure. So family members, um, back to my grandfather, my brother, um, now my husband. My husband um, bugged me for months and months and months when we were dating. And he said, well, this was in Denver, and he said, I, I'm really interested in this thing you're always talking about. And I said, no, you're not, because I'd had many um, boyfriends tell me, oh, I'm interested in that. And then I'd take them to a lodge event, and they would say, oh, my God, that was the most boring thing I've ever went to. So, 
so um so I didn't believe him and so finally I said if you're if you're interested you'll call my dad and he did and so then um it just grew from there um we had a really hard time getting him into the lodge in Denver because they wouldn't call him back wow so um sounds like he my actually lodge. joined and and um found the fraternity because of me so yeah Very so yeah I've had lots of family members and I grew up around the lodge so it was uh, normal to me to hang out at a lodge. So when you were, uh, this is Jack Heather. When you were doing the the research for um, your thesis on Freemasonry and religion, sure. what what did you have a perspective going in that you that you confirmed, or what what, what did you find there? So, sure. So what I thought. Um, so I, I've been curating these materials for now 16, 16 plus years. And I started to see that lodges were closing. My most asked question, people would call me up on the phone or they'd email and they'd say, my lodge is closing. We're moving. We're shutting the doors. What do we do with all of our stuff? And that really became a passion for me. And that's what led me to do this as a study was because I saw all levels of really amazing, um, organized and well-funded things like say Pennsylvania, they, they were at the top of my list. They have, you know, a paid staff and this beautiful building and everything's cataloged, but nobody uses it. And then we have, you know, Nebraska on another end where all of the stuff was just in um, storage. And so they had the remnants of a library and museum, but it was all in storage and nobody could get to it. So I really wanted to tell the story of the Grand Lodges. I wanted to take myself out of it, so I purposely didn't look at Scottish Rite um, so that I could look at it less biased. And I really looked at different Grand Lodges, small, large, you know, um, funded, not funded, staff, not staff. And I talked to the people that work there and told their story. And, um, you know, I'm worried about how these things are going to be preserved forever and that they're going to be there. And, and this is a huge part of American history. So I wanted to tell that story. That was, that was excellent. That was excellent. I have another question for you. <clears throat> sure. In The Secrets of Herondom, you wrote a brilliant guide to the House of the Temple using Dan <laughs> Brown's book. Thank you. I mean, it was, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, the Lost Symbol, of course. Now, I, sure. my question is, did you meet Dan Brown? Yep. Why don't you talk about that? I think that is really interesting. Sure. So um, we were we started hearing rumors that Dan Brown was going to write a book talking about Freemasonry set in Washington, D.C. And we started to really prepare ourselves for that. Um, in 2005, um, we revamped our tours. Uh, my my supervisor, Mr. Seal, who's the sovereign grand commander of the southern jurisdiction, he kept asking me if I would be willing to help redo the tours and, and make them something different because before people would not actually get into the, the house of the temple, they kind of come up and they were like, what's a spooky place? You know, who's allowed in here? Um, and he wanted to really open that, open the doors and tell our story. So he said, Heather, I want you to be a part of this. So we revamped our tours. We hired college students and trained them to talk about the fraternity um, and they gave this personal touch because, yeah, they might say some silly stuff once in a while, but they opened the door and let, you know, non-Masons, people off the street, just people interested in the fraternity to come find out more. And then we were really thinking about the Dan Brown stuff. And we kept thinking, oh, no, what if? And we didn't know if he was going to write about us positively or negatively. And when the book came out, um, my boss, Mr. Seal, actually got previews. So he, he knew that the story was um, positive, but it did open and close in the museum. So we knew that that meant that the Dan Brown people would start coming to see the house of the temple. So we really had to revamp our tours. We had to hire security for a while. We um, hired off-duty police officers from the district of Columbia. Um, we really, I probably tripled my um, staff so that we could handle the amount of people. Um, we even charged for a while. But um, during this time, it was it was a lot of fun. Dan Brown even came to the House of the Temple, and we got to meet him and show him around behind the scenes. 
Um, but um, really preparing for this and preparing for strangers coming in the door that don't know a thing about Freemasonry and being able to to sell it and tell them about it and get them interested. Um, I can't tell you, uh, it was the most exciting time working there because um, so many people were introduced to the fraternity for a first time. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So I have a question from a, a listener. Okay. I just, need, I just need to find my phone. Because, <laughs> you know, we're so unprofessional here. So organized. Oh, let's take... Well, one of the guys was, was Nicholas from... Um, one of these, one of our competitive podcasts. No, we're, we're uh, all not associated. Yeah. We're, we're all friends. We're all friends. Um, so Three distinct knocks in the After Lodge podcast. Oh, somebody else talk while I'm finding this. So. <laughs> <laughs> Larry's like, Jack, you had, a, you had a good question you wanted to ask. Um, well, thank you, Jason. I, I did have a good question. I kind of felt like it would be better like toward the end of this, but oh. I'll ask it now. I'm sorry. So, um, so you're the curator of a lot of really cool stuff. And like you said, yep. Pennsylvania Grand Lodge has lots of cool stuff. Um, what's it going to be like in 50 years after this age of digital everything and disposable everything else when nobody makes anything to last forever and information is is beyond ephemeral. I mean, there is no paper, right? It's, it's all just digits now. Right. What, what's a museum going to look like in 50 years? That's a really great question. So one of the challenges in my profession is figuring out how to get to the data for, since maybe the 1980s even. Um, it's hard. It's, we have to collect right now, and then we have to transfer all of our information because technology is changing so quickly. You know, we can't access a VHS cassette or a floppy disk anymore. And so we have to really keep up with whatever the latest thing is and move it from a stick to the cloud to whatever's next. Um, I'm worried what that does for, um, you know, collecting. And so in my job, I really, really actively pursue whatever I can grab right now. Um, I try to collect it and put it away. So there's still stuff out there, but we have to actively pursue it. Um, one of the things I did recently here at my job at the college was um, uh, the students of this generation, I work with undergraduates and they really love technology. And so I introduced augmented reality and I took some of the old stuff from our stacks and got it out and let the students work with it. And they turned those things into augmented reality exhibits. And so I, I don't know what it's going to be tomorrow or in 20 years, but I'm already doing things with the old stuff, but turning it into new digital ways that, um, that students and the public can look at, and you can also share online um, and just scan it with your phone. And there it is. And you can learn about this random invention from one of our old professors. Um, he created this like digital wheel, um, you know, a hundred and some years ago, but we, we got it out with the students. So not only did they get to handle this really cool primary source, they turned it into this digital exhibit. So I, I only see it as an opportunity, but not a bad thing, but we have to actively collect this stuff right now or it's going to disappear. Thank you. And, and this is Pete again, and I found my question, so I'm, I'm, I'm redeeming myself. Um, okay. So, so two brothers um, ask kind of the same question. So the, the guys are uh, Jacob uh, Shavlik from uh, the Grand Lodge of Illinois. And uh, Nicholas, who's from the uh, Three Distinct Knocks and the After Lodge podcast. So they kind of okay. want to know, with all the, the fuss going on, say, with like with Albert Pike statue, um, you know, sure. what are your thoughts on that? And is there something that, you know, you think we should do to preserve things? Um, should we move that to the temple? And then Jacob really wanted to say, you know, what's your opinion and what do you think the opinion would be of the, 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 you know, the temple itself, I guess, cause you, you don't speak for the temple anymore, but what do you think? Since I don't speak for them anymore. I can answer. Oh, <laughs> um, so that's, <laughs> well, that's well that's said. A really good. Yeah. That's a really good question. So, 
Um, ultimately, so I got my start at the House of the Temple, cataloging the Albert Pike collection. And I wouldn't be where I am today if I had not handled his books. And one by one, he, there's over 8,000 volumes in the collection. And I sat there and I was willing to um, sit with each book and put it into the catalog. And in the, in the margins of this book are um, handwritten notes. So you can, you can thumb through his books and you can see his notes in the language of the book. And these books are all different languages. And so the brilliance of this man and his ability to create this, this organization of the Scottish Rite and make it into what it is today with the ritual and the scholarship, um, I'm blown away because I handled those things myself and, and was a caretaker. Um, and then, you know, over, you know, continue to use them throughout my time there at the Scottish Rite. Um, I would really have to defer to my colleague, Arturo de Hoyas. He's the one that has, um, if you've followed him all on social media, um, he's spoken um, on the news as well as um, very publicly about the statue and about Albert Pike's career and all of the other things that he did. Um, but I think this is a larger question beyond Albert Pike, um, what's going to happen to statues all over and monuments all over the place? Um, do we take them all down? Who do we take down? Why do we take them down? Um, this is going to continue to be a question throughout every city, every state, all over the place. Um, if we take the monuments down, do we also take down all the street signs? Do we change all the street names? Um, it's a huge question. I personally have a hard time saying, let's just go take him down, but maybe he needs a new home. Maybe he shouldn't stand at, you know, Judiciary Square anymore. Um, obviously, a fitting home for him would be the House of the Temple's um, grounds um, because of his um, connection there. Um, but I think this is really going to be a, a question that we don't have an immediate answer to yet, and that people are, society still trying to figure out, well, what do we do with history? Um, obviously, as a historian myself, um, you don't just throw the history away. So I'm, I'm very torn into what to do with that particular statue. Um, and I really would defer to my colleague, Art. Thank you very much. Well, uh, next time I'm down that way, I'll ask, I'll put a microphone in Arturo's face and we'll get an answer. Yep. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, he'll go on for an hour. <laughs> no, not art. No. At least. Uh, Heather, uh, Larry has to pee, so we're going to take a quick break. <laughs> we're actually not going to go anywhere. All guests on your show, you never seem prepared. You don't remember their name, where they live, what they wrote, what they're going to discuss. And the younger guys have to drag you through the Masonic podcast. I mean, what's what's the deal? Can't you prepare yourself correctly? Come on, Larry, get with it. And we're back. Hey, uh, Heather, it's Pete again. And I'm going to steal Larry's thunder here and ask one more question. Um, so you mentioned your, your husband and yourself uh, went to the seminary. Um, well, actually, you mentioned mm -hmm. you went to seminary, but I did notice your husband wearing a collar in a photo. So I'm assuming he also <laughs> went to seminary. Yeah. Or he's yeah. just dressing like a minister. Just digs the clothes. Um, <laughs> he's a priest. Okay. So um, what... When you ran into other seminarians, um, they did they have a negative impression of Freemasonry, and how did you set them straight? Oh, good question. Um, so my seminary was on the very liberal spectrum. So I'm Episcopalian by birth and, and practice, and um. There were no Episcopal seminaries anywhere near Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I picked the closest possible thing, which was Methodist. And my seminary was super liberal. And I didn't know that going there. I just picked it because it was in Denver and it sounded cool to move to Denver. So, um, especially now, found out that. 
Yeah, I found out that when I got there, but I'm really glad it was because that meant that they let me study Freemasonry. They didn't care. They didn't have any ideas about it. They weren't anti-Masonic. And um, so from day one, when I was like, I study this thing and it's this secret club, and, you know, and they were like, oh, cool. Tell us about it. So um, at my seminary and at all of my places of higher education, um, it was a cool thing to study rather than I think if I would have picked another denomination, I would have seen a lot more opposition. But because I I picked the place I picked, um, they saw it as a cool thing to study. Okay, because, yeah, we're here in the um, Pennsylvania Anabaptist belt with, you know, Amish Mennonite brethren. And, you know, they're sure they don't they don't really know much about it. So, of course, they're scared of it. Not to mention that oh, sure. Pete's Roman yeah, I, Pete's Roman Catholic and he's he's been excommunicated, but that's beside the point. I'm Roman Catholic and my wife is a Mennonite. Yes. It's very too. confusing. You're definitely out of the church. <laughs> Heather, uh, I have a Larry. Oh. There we go, Jason. Go yeah, I have, a, I have a this is Jason. I got a question for you. So I'm curious to know how Hard or not hard has it been to get access to what you need to get access to by not actually being able to join the fraternity? I mean, are the books open wide to you, which it appears they may be, or or are some things still off limits? Sure. So I think I'm more fortunate that I'm not a member because I'm able to study it as a scholar and um, I can... Um, I have had no opposition ever to seeing anything at all. I've also sat in, I can't tell you how many closed meetings where myself and another woman at the house of the temple who does their graphic design and um, other things like that. Um, we, we were needed in the room. So I can't tell you how many meetings we've sat through that were filed. And it's just how it was because we were running a, major national organization. Um, but when it comes to scholarship, if you know the right librarian, you can find anything. And, um, I never had a problem getting to stuff, but if you don't know what you're looking for, you won't know how to ask it. So my, my key is find a good librarian and whether they're a member of the organization or not, they will go out of their way to help you find what you need. Um, no matter what it is. And even, secret rituals and things like that. I'm not going to understand the ritual the way an initiate actually understands it. Um, but you might at least have access to looking at what they're talking about, which is useful in, in research. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. I, I give the example, sure. I give the example of, you know, if you're a, a former Roman Catholic like myself, you know, you can go, a normal person can go through a Catholic mass and you can read everything, but unless you're a devout Catholic, mm -hmm. it means something different when you go through it. Sure. But you could know all the words and know all the symbols, but it just doesn't have the same meaning to you if, unless you're a member. Yeah. I have a, another question for you then too. And, uh, you know, th this one's kind of loaded cause it's, it's, uh, near and dear to my heart. So my particular lodge, lodge number 43 is one of the oldest in the state. And we have, uh, you know, President Buchanan was a member of our lodge. He was master of our lodge. So we have a lot of his communications back and forth, and we have some really old and uh, aging uh, antiques and artifacts, and, and, and some are falling apart. We're in a situation where we don't own our building. We're, we're tenants, and uh, we can't care for uh, the items that we have properly. So what is your recommendation for lodges that are in a situation uh, like us that some of our things should probably be archived. Some might need to be preserved or given away. I mean, we, we really are just scratching the surface with this as a lodge and I'm sure we're not the only lodge in Pennsylvania that's facing this. Yeah, certainly. Um, and like, like I said earlier, um, that's been my most asked question is, is we've got all these really cool, amazing things and we're closing, we're moving. We need a, smaller location, what do we do? And I would recommend finding um, a, an educated person that, that you can consult with to give you an opinion on what really is valuable. Because sometimes we think that all our things are valuable and that, um, you know, there's only so many Masonic Bibles that we can keep. <laughs> so um, 
really getting somebody like myself or, or similar people, um, we can come out and that's something I do on the side now. So, um, I, um, may not get paid by the fraternity anymore, but I'm never going to not help the fraternity preserve their treasures. Um, I see this as a lifelong thing of mine, but, you know, talking to some people like me, there's, there's many colleagues that do this as well. I'm getting them to just come out and look at your stuff and telling you what, um, you, you should do with the things, which things might be valuable. And then if you have real, um, value in it, having an actual appraiser come out and, um, appraising it and maybe putting it in a different situation. So, um, I know from, from interviewing the team at the Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania, they don't have any more room. So there is no way that the Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania or New York or a lot of the other, or California, I've been to all three and there's, they have zero storage space for more stuff. So, um, figuring out ways, um, partnering with other museums, other lodges and making sure that those things don't just get thrown out. Um, I, I, I just shudder at the thought that, um, minutes and records and histories, I know that grand lodges can take things like that but they can't take the large furniture, you know, the big organ, things like that. Um, but maybe finding other museums as well that can help um, preserve some of that other stuff, but making sure the Masonic things actually go to other locations, especially, especially if the lodge was going to close. If they were, con you know, consolidating and needing to get rid of, I've helped numerous lodges that had to get rid of all their stuff and it's heartbreaking, but at least we were able to go through their stuff properly and then put the, the valuable things as in terms of minutes and history and, um, paper goods and photos and things like that. Um, we got those all to places where they won't be thrown away. Um, so many times people lodge just have to move at the last second and they're like, Oh my gosh, we got a deal and we got to be out in 30 days. And that's when things get thrown out. And that's, um, what's the most heartbreaking for me, um, to see that history just be, um, trashed because we have to move. That's great. That's great information. Seth, did you have anything you wanted to, uh, chime in on? Yeah. Yeah, Heather, you you work with me on the the board of directors at the Rathbone Museum, uh, mm -hmm. and do some work with Ken there. If a lodge is going through a, a process like you just described, where it's it it's being forced to get rid of things, and they've got thirty days, and they're in the middle of of Nebraska and can't get to somebody like you, yeah. what's the most important thing that you say? You know, for the love of God, don't throw this away. This is far more important than you would think. Oh wow. Um <laughs> how can you put like one thing? Oh, you can't just decide one thing. Um, I really think a lot of the uh, minute books are priceless. You know, they're handwritten. Um, that's a one of a kind thing. It can't be replaced. We could replace possibly things like periodicals and newsletters and books. Those could be duplicates, but, um, the minute books are one of a kind. Um, uh, I, I can't imagine those going in the trash. And that's something that Seth and I have worked on the side with this um, Rathbone Museum to um, help preserve fraternal history. And they collect literally any kind of fraternal groups um, stuff and especially minute books, because those are the first thing to kind of, ah, it's just a minute book. Nobody wants to read this, but it tells so much of the story of the lodge and the people who belong to it and maybe the area it's in. So, um, to me, that's like the one thing I wouldn't throw away. How expensive and time consuming and difficult is digitizing, you know, scanning all of your old minutes books and, or photo taking photos of them <laughs> and then locking them in the safe. Yeah, that takes forever. So, is that, um, is that a common? A, I'm sorry, is that a common practice? That? Is is that a common practice? So, there's no. I can't think of a Masonic organization in America that has the staff that could do that. I know all the staff at all the libraries and museums, and not one has a person devoted to scanning and digitizing stuff. All of us might have done it with like one item or a few items or. A special project, but um, even here at the college where I work, I, I don't have a staff for that. So we just digitized a ledger book um, and it was from the 1700s. And it took a team of people that took turns over a week to do the ledger book. 
and they did it at high resolution. It's, it's readable. Um, but that kind of, you can't pay people that kind of money when it, when it takes a, you know, a week and a half to two weeks to scan one book. Um, most Masonic places don't have the resources for that. Sadly, um, maybe, maybe in Europe, but not here in America. Heather, I was lucky enough to, uh, I think Larry was there, um, and Seth, uh, to, I saw you when you spoke at, um, Masonic Villages in Elizabethtown. Sure. And, uh, the Academy of Masonic Knowledge. Yes. And one of the things that stuck with me, you were, you were talking about, you know, like Pennsylvania and New York and California kind of, you know, maybe a little bit more money, a little bit more proactive of saving things. But can you uh, tell our audience the story? I believe it was Louisiana where they were storing things. Mm. <laughs> oh, Louisiana? Sure. So um, when I was telling my story for my dissertation, I wanted to look at all different kinds of Masonic Grand Lodges, big, little, uh, poor, and and more, more endowed. And so I went to Louisiana and looked at their Grand Lodge. And when you think of Louisiana, you think of New Orleans or Baton Rouge. Well, sadly, the um, Grand Lodge has been moved to Alexandria, which is kind of in the middle of those two places. And it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's a, a, a metal building um, with some offices, and there's a library museum and, you know, just some administration administrative space. Um, and of course they had been located in new Orleans and, um, a neat old historic building. And over the years, they decided that the records needed to be moved. They were going to sell the building. Um, I think it's now a hotel. And so they started getting things ready to move. And so they put them in the basement and it actually happened to be a swimming pool. <laughs> and so you can imagine, since we've all been around when Katrina happened, so this was pre that, but um, the mm. swimming pool got water in it. And so um, sadly, all of these wonderful, amazing records in um, the Grand Lodge of oh. Louisiana's history were um, destroyed because no matter what level of water touched them, and I don't know the exact amount, but, um, you know, they were just storing them there for safekeeping until they moved, and these records were just ruined, so they were all having, they had to throw them all away. Um, so when I, when I was interviewing them, it just broke my heart to hear the story, and they've even written about it in their proceedings, so you can kind of thumb through their proceedings and read about this. Um, but, um, it broke my heart and just thinking about what we know about hurricanes and floods and things like that nowadays, um, I can't imagine making that decision to put things in the basement. So, um, I can't imagine what they lost. Wow. Yeah. That was just like, you know, it's just one thing that just stuck with me is just how much history was just gone in an instant. Just instantly. Yeah. And they talked about some of the things they knew were in there, but they were ruined. So. Heather, uh, I'm, I'm still fixated back on Dan Brown. <laughs> okay. How much did you help him write that book? <laughs> so supposedly the legend has it that he came in incognito to like scope out the building and the tour. And so as long as we knew the book was supposedly being written, my students were on the lookout. They looked out for this guy every single day and we never saw him. And, and I had college students, so they're like on it more than anybody else would be. And, and we, we never caught him taking a tour. So, you know, he said he came and did some like research, so to speak, but, um, in the library and in, on the tours, we never saw him. I think, so, no, sadly, um, <laughs> how much did you help Larry writing his book? That's the question. <laughs> Larry has a book. Are you familiar with this rag. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> so. What happened to the traffic at the House of the Temple when the Red Serpent was written? <laughs> Is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah, it's called the Red Serpent. Um, it's available on Amazon. Yeah, I don't know what to say about it. a review copy. <laughs> it's an interesting story about a oh. symbologist and a beautiful woman who uh, trapes around Europe getting in trouble with people who and keep he, secrets. He, he alleges that Dan Brown stole his idea. <laughs> 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 no, actually, Pete, there is a real story to that. If you uh, want to 
We're going to store it in a swimming pool. That's yeah. <laughs> our friend Larry's in denial. <laughs> Pete and I, uh, years ago, worked together at the phone company. And he knew I was working on a book, and we talked about it. And uh, since we were both Freemasons, we shared things back and forth. And I was giving the gist of the story. And one day I came in, and he says, Larry, he said, uh, there's a problem with your book. I said, what's that? He said, someone already wrote it. <laughs> Some guy by the name of Dan Brown wrote the Da Vinci Code. I went out and bought the book, and absolutely, I, I blew 300 pages away, just, just like that. So, and he wept for days and days. Dan, Dan stole my damn book. <laughs> He, we're not t we're not really saying that, Dan. No, we're not really saying that. No, we're not. No, no, no. Dan. I'm, Dan, no. I'm not going to sue we're you. We're not by saying the way. that, Dan. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to jump Heather, right I have on. A, a, a quick this. question. Go ahead, Seth. Sure. What, what's say uh, a really unique or interesting item at the House of the Temple that you find fascinating, but most people probably overlook or don't see? You know, it's not the exciting thing. It's not Albert Pike's regalia, things like that, that you thought was, yeah. this is just a great piece. Oh, certainly. So in the Southern jurisdiction, they have a tradition of carrying their patents with them. And they would carry this with them to every meeting, kind of like you would a membership card nowadays. And they would take the patent out and different people would sign them at the, um, at the meeting. And so we have two or three, <clears throat> we have hundreds of them, but we have two or three patents that are signed by mobile presidents and all sorts of famous people in the 20th century. Um, and those patents, those are amazing. And, and they're one of a kind. And when you walk by them, it's just a certificate and you don't really look at it. But um, I can tell you how many times I would sit with those patents and just look at all the names. They're all signed by, you know, different kinds of ink and different kinds of handwriting. And, you know, um, sometimes they'd have a little message with them. And I can't imagine being the men visiting these various Scottish Rite jurisdictions and carrying this little thing. There's even a little wallet in the Southern jurisdiction that you fold your little patent up and put it inside this little wallet. And the guys used to carry those wallets around. They, they don't really do that anymore. They pretty much frame this and hang it on their wall in their office or someplace. But in the um, 20th century, they really carried these things around. And um, um, just it was, it was just a neat tradition that grew. And kind of like we'd take a book now and get it autographed, except they, they have all the autographs in one place because they're all on their certificate together. Um, and so that I would say that those are, to me, those are some of the coolest things. And you would just pass right by it if you went to the library and they're, they're sitting in the cases and you can look at them, but, um, unless someone points it out to you, you're not going to notice. We'll give a, a, a delayed, a one week delayed plug to Ryan Flynn, Masonic artist who we had last week. Mm -hmm. Um, he does Masonic patents and he does them like cool. hand, with a uh, hand embossed with gold probably embossed is probably the wrong word embossed hand foiled uh, yeah, yeah crazy crazy stuff rc stuff uh so we're going to we're sure. going to take a quick That's break cool. and then we're going to come back and we're going to wrap up with uh with heather okay sounds good well, brother wants fun, so where does he go Home of the original traveling fez. We're back. Masonic Light Podcast, episode number 37 with Heather Calloway. And we were just talking off air about uh, preserving some artifacts and, uh, and, and historical items. And we're supposed to talk about the George Washington Masonic medallion medal? Washington Bible. Bible? Can you, can you tell oh, us the about Bible. the Washington yeah. Bible? Oh, tell us about that Bible. <laughs> Yeah, so, so there's a lot of George Washington Bibles out there, but um, one of the lodges that asked me to come help um, years ago, um, one of my colleagues that I went to library school with um, kept asking me about 
masonry and I introduced him to it and he's actually a member and now a past master, um, which is exciting, but he's also an archivist. And at the time, um, he knew that I had been working with these materials for a long time. And he said, would you come help our lodge? We've got all this stuff. And they had moved several times and they took all their things and put them in boxes and plastic tubs in the back of the Scottish Rite in Washington, D.C. And they said, we're about to move again. And we want to kind of go through our stuff and see what we want to keep and, and how to organize it better. And so they pretty much didn't know what they had. It was all just stuck in boxes. So we set them out on all these tables around the Scottish Rite and went and worked in teams to see what they had and just started taking everything out of the boxes. And one of the guys um, took a, a big book out of one of the tubs and he said, Oh, this looks cool. And he comes running to me with this book and it's got a leather cover and it's got these metal clasps on the side. And he said, look, this must be important. And so we set it down really carefully and we look at it and I open up the cover and inside this piece of paper comes out and it says that this Bible was used at the funeral of George Washington. Wow. So we had this amazing Bible with, with the provenance saying what it is. And it was in one of those plastic tubs in the back of the Scottish Rite closets. So, um, now that Bible is on display at the house of the temple and it belongs to federal lodge number one, who's the oldest lodge in the district of Columbia. And, um, they had, they really did do the funeral of George Washington along with another lodge from Virginia. And for some reason they had the Bible because the Virginia Lodge didn't have theirs. And this thing's been in their, in their safekeeping as long as they're, you know, as they've been around. And, um, it really does date back to George Washington. So, um, I was blown away of all the things I've ever found, all the cool stuff I've worked with. Um, that Bible was my most inspiring, neatest. When someone asked me, why do you do what you do? It's because of that Bible, because you never know what you're going to find. You never know the story behind it until you really dig around and, and to have this lodge find this. And now they use it, of course, at their installations every year and at some of their other, um, Masonic occasions, but, um, on, any given day, it sits at the house of the temple under special glass in an appropriate case. Um, and it's insured and, you know, cared for properly. But I love the fact that we were able to find this thing. Wow. How, how many, how many Bibles are Washington Bibles? I, I have a friend that's um, up in New York state who claims, Oh, we have sure. the Washington Bible. So now you're, you're opening this up to me that like, right. hey, there's no, they have the Washington inaugural Bible. They have the inauguration Bible. Yeah. Okay. So we, we, we at federal, at federal lodge, they, they had found the funeral Bible. Um, and, and according to all the historical stuff I went through, um, it seems to be that that really is the case. You know, I can't prove it a hundred percent, but, um, but from, from everything I read about their lodge and with the supporting materials, it seems like that's the story. So we have his communion Bible. At, at, no, we, no, we don't really. <laughs> his confirmation Bible. Confirmation Bible. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, Heather, I I do appreciate. This is Larry here. I do appreciate you coming on the show. We don't want to take too much more of your time up, and you've been a great guest. This has been really good, and uh, because you did appear in our show, I will send you a complimentary copy of the Red Serpent signed and <laughs> send it off to you as a gift. <laughs> Send us a picture of where you store it, um, Heather. I'll send you a scarf. I'll send I'll send you a Masonic scarf to wear. Forget Larry. I'll send chocolate. You've been great, and we do appreciate it so much, Heather. Thank do you, you have anything that you uh, want to promote? Since you're a, an author and you're a uh, such a vast knowledge of everything, do you have anything you want to promote? Any well, I guess just. If there's people that are looking for advice on what to do with their things, um, let me know. I, I, I don't, I'm not the, in this for myself. I don't make any money off of taking care of objects and ephemera, but um, I love to tell people how to save it for their future um, and, and give them ideas on, um, you know, preserving their history. 
So um, I would say reach out to me if you, if you need help with, with doing that kind of thing. What's the best way to reach you then? Uh, my Gmail. And so it's just heather.calloway at gmail.com. Perfect. Thank well, you. Excellent. Well, right, don't guys. don't don't actually hang up, Heather. But we're going to pretend like we're hanging up with you. So, yeah. so thank you for being okay. on the show. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, everybody, <laughs> bye. 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 <laughs>
God. Wow. We pay him for this. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Um, Jack, so we'll, st- we'll stay with you. What's going on in the next uh, two weeks Masonically for you? Same thing I said before. Jason, anything Masonic going on? <laughs> go to Lodge in the Woods. Lodge go, in the Woods. Go to Lodge go in the Woods. Oh, Eventbrite, Eventbrite. Yeah, we mentioned it earlier, state of meeting, conferring a degree, um, links to Lodge of Perfection, and that's, uh, that's about it. Lodge in the Woods. Uh, Seth Anthony, anything going on next couple weeks Masonically? I am doing uh, as little masonry as possible because I am getting married, and uh, my bride would prefer that I do as little masonry as possible. Oh, when is this? Uh, Saturday, September 23rd. Whoa, well, congratulations. Well, you can honeymoon at Camp Mac. <laughs> uh, we, uh, I, think, I think Cancun's the choice. Oh, Camp Mac is a close second. Oh, now... Congratulations. I, I hear the spa there. It's excellent. Oh, congratulations to both of you. You, you know what? I'm surprised, Seth, Thanks. that she's still going to marry you after you took her up to Erie for the Corgi Festival. Hey, hey, hey. I'm from Erie, too. No, you missed she, she, uh, she enjoyed the Corgi Festival, and I think she feels trapped because I'm, I'm royal patron in Amaranth, and she's matron. So even if she didn't, she's still stuck with me till March. So <laughs> it'll probably work out okay. Larry Maris, you have anything going on the next two weeks, Masonic? Uh, other than uh, uh, Lodge in the Woods, which Masonic Light podcast is going to cover. Um, no, not not a whole lot. We will, we will be at... The Lodge in the Woods. So if you want to get interviewed and be on the air, come to Lodge in the Woods. Absolutely. Eventbrite.com, 2017, Lodge in the Woods. And we are going up there with new state-of-the-art equipment. 1997 technology. My uh, my problem is i got to learn to work it. That we got from Goodwill. <laughs> so the only thing, I, I next two weeks I've got uh, counsel with Seth if he's back um, at some point. Oh, this Sunday. I am going to see the Magic Flute in Philadelphia. Yeah, I'm going to go see a, a an opera that's very Masonic in nature. So we'll we'll Look see. Being cultured, I'll see if I can be, if I can understand it. Well, you can talk about it in the next show. Yes. So if that's it, um, Larry, right? cue the banjo. Larry, take yeah. us out of here. Yeah. Time to go home, guys. Cue the chickens. Special thanks to Monarch Studios and the revised, remodeled, state-of-the-art. I'm not telling you, this, this, this place is getting better and better and bigger and bigger every time I come down here. Our producer and co-host, Jason Lewis, who continues to make the show better every time. Jack Harley, our news director. Great news, Jack. Keep up the good work. Uh, you're being considered for a raise. We, we won't know what the amount will be till January. Uh, R.C. McCarvey, brother on the street. We we do have his interview. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get it on the air. We should just interview him. <laughs> and, and, and special thanks to our our, our guest, uh, uh, really a guest and kind of co-host that comes on occasionally and does a lot for us. Seth Anthony, uh, God, we love I'm you. I'm happy to be we, here, guys. We love you. You really do. Yes, uh, also, too, uh, a couple other items I want to cover before we leave here. Uh, our director, and this is important for Jack, our director of staff bonuses, Holly Unlikely. Not that. <laughs> and, 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 and the director for uh, of staff pay increases, Xavier uh, uh, Breath. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a good one. Uh, we do have financial advisors who give us uh, information about how to invest our money. Uh, our financial advisors are ill-gotten gains, and uh, also, <laughs> I, 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 I have winning today, Larry. And I, and I, oh. I'm, I was at the gym today, and I, I do want to take this personal note to thank my personal trainer. Uh, you're. you're <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Stewart to show up in the Larry, Larry, the more bourbon I drink, the funnier you get. That's okay. I've been drinking it too. Good <laughs> My personal trainer, Euripides Abs. <laughs> oh, God. I think I'm going to quit there. <laughs> Alrighty, so Good night, everybody, uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, this is Pete. This is Larry Maris, Jason Lewis, and Jack. And 
any e town Middletown. And me, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good night, everybody, and Thank thanks you. for listening. Thank you. Thank you, Heather. Thanks, guys. Holy shit. Jason, if you can make that into three hours, <laughs> it'll be funny. This one's going to be a bitch. But I can't wait to hear what you guys have edited and uh, I'm happy. <laughs> Yeah, you, you don't know, get I the know, raw feed, Todd. Sorry. I'm very all this stuff, and so when it's when it's just sort of concentrated into a lovely podcast, <laughs> you know, every every early Tuesday morning, I I, I go up to uh, I go up to Philadelphia for the next two and a half months, and so I can listen to a great podcast and then finally figure out what it is that she does. <laughs> Well, you can listen to an average podcast. podcast. I would recommend this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there are scholarly podcasts, and then there is the playground podcast, and that's what we do. Oh, well, there you go. Well, thank you for um, sparing her something that she does, you know, year in and year out anyhow. I get, I get to meet neat people, and we commiserate about, you know, being faculty spouses and that sort of thing. So this is good. You did great. Thanks. Right. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks, thanks Todd. Thank you, Father. <laughs> and you know what I got to miss? I missed the introductions. Oh. oh. Well, yeah. Exactly. So we'll just. Are you recording now? Yeah. What are we doing? So uh, if you're recording, we can pretend again. Okay. Um, technical difficulties. Heather's back with us with her husband. <laughs> we didn't know how to hang up the phone. Good thing we weren't talking about her. <laughs> oh, yeah, what what are we doing? This is falling apart fast. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to finally get this thing to hang up. I don't know why I didn't hang up before. <laughs> I admire it. I'm just glad you weren't playing Candy Crush. <laughs> and Heather's gone. All right. There we go. All right. Mm-hmm.